Okay, and if we can stand up for the reading of uh, today's scripture. This morning we've got uh, three passages from uh, 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 15, uh, verses 1 through 8. It says, Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved. If you hold firmly to the word I preached, if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you, otherwise you have believed in vain. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared, that he appeared to Cephas, and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Uh, Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. And then moving on to uh, 1 Corinthians 15, chapter uh, um, chapter 15, verses 13 to 22, it says, If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. For more than that, We are then found to be false witnesses about God, for we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead, but he did not raise him if, in fact, the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Then those who also have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For, though, for since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. And then moving on to verses 30 through 32, it says, And as for us, why do we endanger ourselves every hour? I face death every day, uh, yes, just as surely as I boast about you in Christ Jesus our Lord. If I fought wild beasts in Ephesus with no more than, a hum- than human hopes, what have I gained if the dead are not raised? Let us eat, drink, and be merry. <laughs> Let us eat, drink, for tomorrow we die. I, I'm sorry, I kind of threw a little Ecclesiastes in there. <laughs> I'll step down now. <laughs> so this is the word of God. Please remain standing and join me in prayer. Father, I just... Uh, uh, just want to exhort those who are here today, Father, to just uh, open their hearts. That, Father, uh, never a day comes to pass on a Sunday that you don't have something for your people. And, lost, uh, Lord, through our, uh, our broken and contrite lives, you have words for us, words of life. So, Father, as the message is preached today uh, through your servant, Pastor Kyle, I pray that we would be a people that would receive it and just, uh, just exalt you in the receiving of your word today, in your son's name, amen. Okay, you may be seated. Um, so good to be every uh, to be here with everyone this morning. Happy Easter, and thank you if you were here <clears throat> yesterday and just worked so hard to um, put on such a great um, time to show some compassion and love to our neighbor and communities. Um, it was really loaded with people, I think. We were all quite surprised how many people showed up. And I, um, the police actually showed up to help us, not to 
you know, hey, what's going on here? But they were actually very kind, and um, they, uh, they di- were directing traffic with, um, with John, um, and that was just really polite. I, I was a little nervous. I saw the lights going, and I'm like, uh-oh. I didn't get a permit. Um, <laughs> and so I walked up to him kind of like, you know, Charlie Brown, like, dun-dun-dun-dun. But he's like, hey, my, my wife and kids are coming. I just called them. I'm like, all right, great. <laughs> so we got to pass out just hundreds of Bibles and, um, and just so glad that so many people were able to help us. And if you were here yesterday from that event, uh, welcome. It's so great to have you. We, have, we actually have more gifts of chocolate for you. Um, so we, w- we want to fill people with sugar during church so that you stay awake. And then w- when you go home, you'll sleep. You'll crash. But um, happy Easter. What a great day to be alive, to be with the church, um, to be with family and um, so many guests this morning. I hope that everyone finds it comfortable in here and found the place okay. Um, But we explored uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and those of you who might be kind of new um, to the Christian faith or to the Bible, 1 Corinthians chapter 15 is a New Testament book. Um, It's actually a letter written by a guy named Paul who was an apostle of Christ. And he was writing to the Corinthian church, which is in Greece. Um, And uh, it's an amazing book. In chapter 15, actually, if you read it at length and in full, it's all about the idea of the resurrection, not just of Christ, but also of of the dead in general. Um, One of the core doctrines of the Christian faith is that um, there is a resurrection of the dead, that life is not the end. Um, So here we have in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 probably the longest explanation the longest Christian explanation, at least, of the resurrection of the dead and the life hereafter. It even gets into, well, what does that even look like? What will our bodies be like when they're resurrected? Very interesting. Uh, the, the word logic uh, comes from the Greek word logos. Uh, we, we use, logos is used for a lot of different words, like theology, you know, um, all those, every, anything that ends in logy. <laughs> That's the Greek word logos. Um, and we get our word logic from it, logistics, things like this. And basically it's uh, ideas or words that are spoken, concepts. Uh, logic and philosophy and math actually deals with laws pertaining to what is true. How do you know if something is illogical, as uh, what was it, Captain Spock used to say, that is not logical. Um, how do we know if something is just you know, foolish, illogical, or true? Um, there's a kind of philo- philosophical logic uh, known as a syllogism. Um, and please don't fall asleep yet. Um, but uh, you guys know what this is, I think. A syllogism might say something like this. All men are mortal. It gives you propositions that presume to be true, right? All men are mortal. All Greeks are men. Therefore, all Greeks are... Yeah, right. You remember these little mind games that you sometimes had to play during SATs and... Um, they try to trip you up and confuse you. They get a little more complicated at times. And, you know, so that's a syllogism. It's a law of logic. It's how we determine what is true versus what is false. And all of us do this every day. We might not know the terms for it, but we, ha- we all have like, these, these systems sort of built into us to, to know how to determine what is true and what is false. Um, it's a kind of um, logic that we, we use whether we are aware of it or not. We read a passage of scripture today, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, I don't know if you noticed this or not, but it's incredibly captivating the logical process that Paul uses when he's talking about 
the implications of the resurrection of Christ. Now, we'll get to that in a moment. But all across the world, some 2,000 years after the fact, this is incredible today, especially when you consider our modern world and all that we know, but 2,000 years after the fact, millions of people still all over this world celebrate the death and resurrection of Christ. They call it Holy Week. We call it Holy Week. We don't do this for Plato or Homer. There is no National Day remembering the Iliad, you know, like um, as, as wonderful a piece of literature as it is. But we don't remember Plato or Homer or Julius Caesar like this. No ancient pharaoh, not even an Old Testament prophet, is celebrated um, to the magnitude of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And I know, I realize, by the way, that many people don't even believe in what the Holy Week is supposed to mean. But they, we still, as a culture celebrate, we still get the day off on Friday. Even if you're a hardened atheist, you can still get the day off, paid vacation. Um, <laughs> but, um, but the reality is, even if, even if you don't believe in the resurrection of Christ, it is still celebrated by millions worldwide after the fact, 2,000 years later, which is remarkable, the influence and impact of Jesus Christ. And even, like I said, if you don't believe in Christ or accept the the truth claims of Scripture, you would have to at least agree that that's a pretty impressive thing, that 2,000 years later, Jesus Christ's name and message is still being preached by millions all over the world. We have to explain that. Why is that? Why is his message to us, even in this room, still so captivating? So I'd like to ask the question to all of us. It's Easter. So what? (laughs) Perhaps Jesus did rise from the dead, but even if he did, who cares, right? The early church, according to one scholar, knew that if Jesus rose from the dead, it meant that they didn't have to be afraid of anything. Not Roman swords, not cancer, nothing. If Jesus rose from the dead, it changes everything. Now that's a conclusion, That's a logical conclusion. How did the early church, and that's true, they actually believed that. If you look at history and church history, their writings are filled with the fact that they're not afraid of lions, they're not afraid of Roman oppression because Jesus is alive. That was their courage. How on earth, what drew them to that conclusion? What led them to that logical conclusion? Now there's a lot of people here this morning And I imagine that if we all wrote our fears down on a napkin and you all gave them to me, there'd probably be a lot of different things. Bees, right, and spiders, different, you know, maybe some more, you know, some people are terrified. If you had this mic right now, you'd be terrified, right? Isn't that the number one fear, speaking in public? That one always was peculiar to me because I I do it all the time. And, um, but I I guess I was a little intimidated by it when I first started doing it, so I'll, I'll, uh, I'll say that. But we all have different fears, don't we? Fear of death, fear of illness, uh, um, sickness, fear, fear of a loved one leaving. You know, fear of something bad happening to a child, not having enough money. You know, fill in the blank. Some of us are terrified and tyrannized daily by fear. Some of us have chronic fear. And it's something that is kind of built into our soul, and it's a daily battle for us. We deal with it maybe more intensely and more dramatically than others. Maybe some of us are tyrannized by regret or remorse. Maybe afraid that we, won't, we just won't matter in the end. Our lives will be insignificant. 
Or maybe, maybe you're concerned about not measuring up to your own standard or someone else's standard. That we're just going to lose at something on some level at the end of our lives. That's that kind of fear. But here is this idea presented to us by the early church that if Jesus rose from the dead, that you don't need to be afraid of anything ever again. Now how on earth does anyone end up there concluding that? What is that logical progression? Now I hope by the end of this sermon you're going to see why the death and resurrection of Christ two millennia after the fact still matters. And it's still the most important question any of us can answer. Is he alive? Because if he is, it changes everything. So it's Easter, so what? (laughs) Six times in the text that we read, you're going to see the word if. If this, then that, right? The author, by using that word, is drawing logical conclusions, specifically about the logical consequences of a risen Christ. If Jesus is risen, then this. If Jesus is not risen, then that. Here is the significance, the importance of the resurrection of Christ, the so what of it. Now, I want to um, remind you, I, I mentioned this a little bit before, of some of the context. Remember, a man named Paul, an apostle of Christ, is writing to this Corinthian church in Greece. And he's writing in the first century to men and women who would have been alive. Now, imagine this. They would have been alive at the time of the ministry of Christ, the life of Christ. It's maybe possible that some of them maybe were even there to hear the Sermon on the Mount or witness the crucifixion. So these weren't 300 years after the fact. These were men and women that could speak to the living apostles and quite possibly had spoken to Christ himself. Imagine that. Incredible. The small church in Greece, however, started to toy with the idea that there was no such thing as a resurrection for any of us. They just, uh, there was some Greek um, mythology and paganism and all this stuff kind of mixed in in their culture. And th- th- there was a philosophy around at the time that presented to them the idea that there's no such thing as a resurrection of the dead. Um, and therefore, they started toying around with this idea. And Paul writes to them in response. And that's what 1 Corinthians 15. It's a response to some of them kind of considering this as a possibility. Now, I want you to know, uh, uh, observe Paul's syllogism. In verse 13, okay? But if it is preached that Christ, excuse me, this is verse 12. If it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? Right? That's illogical. If there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not raised. And if Christ is not raised, here's the conclusion. Our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. <laughs> Ouch. So here's the logic. If, if resurrection of the dead is not possible, right? That's the proposition. It's, resurrection isn't possible for, for dead people. And Christ died, right? What's the conclusion? Christ was not raised from the dead. If there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen, And he continues by exploring what would the consequences be of a non-risen Christ, a non-alive Christ, a dead Christ. And here we have the so what of the resurrection. 
the who cares? What does it matter? Paul draws some pretty striking conclusions if Jesus is indeed still in the grave. And the first conclusion he draws that we just read is that Christianity is a monumental waste of time. It is, the word he uses, useless. (laughs) Very interesting. He says, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you. And the word gospel, by the way, if you're kind of new to this, you know, sometimes people think it's a music genre, which I guess it is. But the word gospel means good news. The Greek word is evangelion. So ev is like a, um, a prefix, like a eulogy, right? A good word, right? Ev, you, good. Angelion is a message, good message, good news. So the gospels just simply means good news <clears throat> in Greek. So what's the good message? What's the news? Um, by this gospel, he says, you are saved. Okay, here we have another one of those weird Christian words that all the Christians know what it means, but all the rest of us are confused. What do you mean saved? What does that mean? Well, from death. We are saved from death. Now, death is a, in Scripture is a theologically loaded word. It's more than just physical death. It is the judgment of God on us for sin. Death is a symbol of separation from God because of sin, because he's holy. The wages of sin is death. Now, everyone acknowledges that we all die, but not everyone, I admit, acknowledges that death is a separation from the goodness of God. You might not believe in God, but according to Scripture, death is the separation from God because of the consequences of sin. So Paul says the good news is that Christ came to save you from that to save you from the consequences of sin, which is the separation from the goodness of God forever. So he says, I want to remind you of the gospel I preach to you. By this gospel, you are saved. I hope that if you're new to Christianity, that that makes more sense now. I want to remind you of the gospel, the good news I preached, proclaimed to you. By this gospel, you have been saved, delivered from death and the consequences of sin. That Christ died for our... And here's the good news. He spells it out. Christ died for our sins. Right? So this is very important. Christ did not just die because people are bad and they killed him. He wasn't a nice guy that got a bum deal. That is true, right? He wasn't also serving as like some kind of moral example. Hey, do the right thing even if it means your life. Right? He, he, it's, Christ's death is not just an example to follow of doing the right thing and standing for what's right even if you have to die for it. According to the scriptures, Christ did not die as simply an example or simply as a, a, an object of someone else's heinous crime. Christ died for sinners. You see, the death he died was the death you should have died and I should have died And that's the good news, that someone died it for you. Someone took the penalty, the curse of God's judgment for sin was put on him and not on you. That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. Now Paul is saying here that the Old Testament, the the beginning parts of scripture, everything before Jesus, that's what the Old Testament is. It says the Old Testament talks about this. Isaiah chapter 53, in length that the Lamb of God would be wounded, crushed for our iniquities. 
He was dying for sinners on that fateful day. And then in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 4, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures and that he appeared to Cephas, who is Peter, by the way, the apostle Peter. He appeared to Cephas and then to the 12, the other 12 apostles. And after that, he appeared to more than 500 people of the brothers and sisters at the same time. Underline that. He appeared to 500 people at the same time. Oh, and by the way, footnote, most of whom are still living. And here's my comment on that. Go talk to them. You don't believe me, go talk to them because they all saw him. Okay? Though some have fallen asleep, that's a euphemism for death. Then he appeared to James, then to the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. So Paul is saying here that the basic Christian message is that Jesus was crucified in the place of sinners, that God's righteous judgment was put on him instead of sinners, and that he died that death, that separation that we deserved. That's the gospel. He did this so that sinners might be delivered from this awful consequence the death and eternal separation of the grave from God's goodness and love. He claims that if Christ has not been raised, that our preaching then is useless. It's it's wasteful. And so is the Christian faith. If Christ is not risen, then what we're doing this morning in this church, at Refuge Church, in 2018, is a waste of time if Christ is in the grave. You see, friends, all this would be is some kind of let's learn how to live life better and suck the marrow out of it. Right? Because when the grave comes, that's it. That's what we would be doing here this morning. Okay? So he says, that's futile. Because we remain in our sin. In other words, if Christ has not risen from the dead, conquered the consequences of sin, then we remain in our sin, and then we remain in the consequences of that sin, which is death. You see? So it's futile. It's a waste of time to be a Christian at that point. And he says, by the way, let me add to the fact that we would also be liars. Because he says, we are then found to be false witnesses about God. That's maybe a polite way of saying we're liars. For we have testified, we have proclaimed, we have told people about God that he raised Christ from the dead. So if Christ is not risen from the dead, if there is no resurrection from the dead, therefore Christ is dead, now we're liars because Christ is not risen. And then he closes in this. Why do we endanger ourselves every hour? He says, I face death every day for the gospel of Christ. Why on earth would I risk my life for this message if this is the only life I got? You see, I'm going to preserve my life at all costs if this is the only life. If death is the end and it's separation from God and it's my best life now, then I am just going to do whatever makes me really happy. Right? That's his, that's his logic. See, faith is a waste of time. Have fun. That's what he's saying. That's really, a, like, 
if you go home and read this again, that's what he's saying. He said, if Jesus did not raise from the dead, don't waste your time with religion and just have fun. That's my paraphrase. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. He closes, why do we endanger us? Right, I just read this. We've, I face every day, death every day. If I fought wild beasts in Ephesus with no more than human hopes, what have I gained? If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink and be merry, for tomorrow we die. If Jesus is dead, then we have no assurance that we will live. We have no reason to believe that when we die, we'll be in a better place. You see? Everyone says that. I've never been to a funeral where anyone has ever said he's in a worse place. Everyone thinks they go to heaven. But according to this, not everyone does. People in Christ go to heaven. The message of Christ saves them and takes away the sting of death, the penalty of death by repentance and faith in the one who carried death for us. Okay? So if Jesus did not rise from the dead, we have no clue that any of us will rise from the dead. Paul is claiming that apart from the resurrection of Christ, there is no basis for us to believe in any good life to come at all after death. It's just wishful thinking. There's no reason for us to think at all that there is a life to come unless someone was in the grave and then came out of it. Then we can know. And someone did. But if not, the Christian gospel is foolish, futile, and vain. Don't come back. But if he is, if he is alive, oh friends, bow your knee in repentance and faith to the living God who loves you and give your life to him because he tasted it for you in your place. What's more, if Christ um, is not risen from the dead, this was sort of implied and said already, but let's say a little more, that we remain in our sin. If Christ is not risen, and therefore no one, uh, no one of us will be risen, we remain in our sin. And you say, well, I'm, I'm a secular, I'm a modernist, I don't believe in sin. Well, do you believe in death? You're going to die, right? Remember what I said about the word sin. It's a loaded word. Death and sin are loaded words. Death in Scripture is the consequence of sin. So what Scripture is saying here, essentially, is that if Jesus has not raised from the dead, then we remain in our death. We are dying creatures headed for death. And that death, according to Scripture, is a forever separation from the goodness of God in Christ. So if Christ is not risen from the dead, in other words, if someone has not paid the consequence of sin and emerged victorious from it because he's innocent, right? We'll get to that more in a second. Then we remain in our sin. We carry death. That's not good news. That doesn't give me, give me a skip in my step. Friends, even if you don't believe in God, you would have to concede at least that you have no idea what's coming. If you say, well, nothing's coming. Well, it, well, that's not much better. So you've got a few years on this earth and that's it. No more you. That means that love ends. Everything ends. That's not hope. That makes cancer devastating. There's no hope. You're, you're gone. That's it. That's the end of it. If the dead are not raised, he says, therefore, it's futile. 
So just eat, drink, and be merry. Try to just have some fun because you're not going to be around for much longer. The pagan, the pagan culture at the time believed that the senses were to be indulged in this life. The senses, right? So taste and hearing and, and feeling and all these things. Anything that kind of made you kind of thrilled, right? So the pagan culture at the time believed that the senses were to be indulged in this life. And they also accused those who disagreed with them that they were denying themselves self-fulfillment and the pleasures of life. If you would ever deny yourself a pleasure, what's the matter with you? Because they believed you only had a a short period of time to have fun. So you're wasting it, right? The argument here is that if Christ has not raised, this life is all we got, so have as much fun as you can. If death is the consequence of sin, and if Jesus did not conquer death, being the payment for sin on the cross, emerging victorious from the grave, then we remain in our sin. We remain in our death, which is its just consequence, and we will not be saved. That being the case, Paul's message is, you know, whatever, whatever works for you. Cheat on your wife. Don't cheat on her. You know, if it's going to make you happy, and then just do it. Why sacrifice something? Why do that? And it's a good question, isn't it? You know, how do, what's the, if all of us are just going to just disappear one day, you know, even in, why fight injustice? Even, even if, so we, we, we conquered injustice for a little while, but then forever and ever it's just gone into some kind of nebulous stratosphere. It's disappeared. His final conclusion is that if Christ is not risen, that life then is the end in itself. We remain in our sin, right? We remain in our sin, in death, and life is an end in itself. Tomorrow we die. So there is, there is no place we're heading. No, no place we're going to. So life, the experiences of the now is the end in itself. It is the purpose of our birth. So live in the moment and for the moment. Whatever in any given moment will maximize your pleasure, do it. <clears throat> in other places in Scripture, we're told the opposite, though. We're told, I die daily. Right? This is what Paul says. And what, he's, what his point is, is that's really stupid if there is no resurrection of Christ. He missed out on the little fun and joy that he could have had, right? That's what he's saying. But he says, I die. That means we are to deny, he said, when, when he says die daily, he means that we are to deny ourselves at times what would be momentary desires for a greater purpose. And anyone who's married knows that you've got to do this, right? You know that. You know that sometimes you want to watch something but love would demand that you prefer the desires of your wife first. Right? A healthy marriage is going to do that. It's, gonna pre- it's not, not, not that it never fails at it, but a healthy marriage is going to strive to live like that. But why? Why do that if there's no resurrection of the dead? That's Paul's argument. Eat, drink, and be merry. Get out of my way. I'm trying to watch football. <laughs> Imagine the implications of this life being the end in itself. Now just think about it for a moment. If I could take a poll in this room and just ask asked you all some of the just difficult trials that you've been through or are going through, 
Imagine if this, this is the end in itself. It makes cancer a lot scarier if this is, the, if this is all we got. It makes it much more devastating. It makes injustice arbitrary. You know, the maniacs get away with it in the end. They might get a bullet in their brain at the end of their lives, but that's it. Where's my water? It's over there. <laughs> Can you get it for me, man? Thank you. I'm like I'm choking on a frog. <clears throat> it, makes, it makes injustice arbitrary. You know, the, the, um, the maniacs and all the, the different horrific injustices that we've seen throughout the world, it's just, they just get away with it in the end. If this is the end in itself. It makes selfless, selfless living and sacrifice just a touch foolish. But he is risen. <laughs> there is someone that has emerged from the grave and that should tell all of us in this room that your life is not the end. That there's something else. There's something beyond. Paul says it really clearly. But Christ, verse 20, has indeed been raised from the dead. Now that's an audacious claim. Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. Pish posh. Pish posh, you say. Right, I'm a modern. You know, I, I watch Richard Dawkins. You know, I know what they say about God and religion. What evidence is there that Christ has risen from the dead? Now, we can say anything. I could, I could tell you I rose from the dead. Right, but what evidence, what evidence is there? You can't just say stuff, right, and expect everyone to believe you. The most compelling evidence is the volume of witnesses that saw Jesus after the fact, and we read about it. Luke chapter 1 reads this. Luke is another apostle, uh, um, excuse me, a writer that was acquainted with the apostles of Christ and writes his gospel based on their testimony. He says, Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. With this in mind, since I myself have carefully underlined have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I decided to write down, underline, an orderly account for you. That account is based on order, eyewitnesses, and what really happens. He is not interested in making up a fun story about hobbits. Right? He wants to know what happens because all these people are saying something. What's the proof? And that's what Luke, 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 the Gospel of Luke does for us. Acts chapter 1, verse 3, same author, by the way, Luke. He says, after his suffering, he presented himself, Christ, to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. Okay? This is the testimony of the early followers of Christ, that Christ was dead and that he was alive. What Luke and, and the other accounts of the life of Christ record is that Jesus died. If you noticed um, in, our, in our text, we read that he was in the grave for three days. And that's important. He didn't die for two hours. Because you know, we know in our world that sometimes you can you just you know, punch someone in the chest, their ticker starts going again. Right? You know, so they were, were they technically dead? I, yeah, they, they were. But, you know, Boom. But, but the, the, the Jews, you know, they, the, the people at the time, 
their time limit was three days. After three days, then they're dead type of thing. So the, the, the author is making a point to say that he was really dead. He was in the grave for three days. We saw it, by the way. These were eyewitnesses. We saw it. He was in the grave for three days. Many convincing proofs. This was the proof. So Luke and the other accounts of, life of, of, of the life of Christ's record is that Jesus died and he was in the tomb for three days. That the body in the tomb was missing. Right? This is even in secular, non-biblical documents. They all acknowledged that when, when they went back to the tomb, the body was gone. So you've got to explain that. Why is it gone? Well, there's any number of reasons why it could be gone. You know, someone could have rolled the, the, rolled the stone away. Animals could have come and just tore it to, you know, someone could have stolen it and all this. So how do we know what, what happened to the body? Why was the tomb empty? Well, here's why. He appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve, to Peter. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time. So he showed up, the physical body of Christ, ate and spoke with actual people, and they say, by the way, most of these people are still living. Go talk to them. The evidence of Christ's death and resurrection is compelling. Chuck Colson said this. Chuck Colson was a man that worked with Richard Nixon, right? And you guys all are familiar, I think, a little bit with that. Um, history in American culture. Um, he was involved in the Watergate scandal, and actually Chuck Colson was arrested and put in prison. He said this, he became a Christian later on, and um, quite a, a um, good defender of the Christian faith. But he said this, I know the resurrection is a fact, and Watergate proved it to me. How? Because 12 men testified they had seen Jesus raised from the dead. Then they proclaimed that truth, for 40 years, never once denying it. All of them were beaten, tortured, stoned, and put in prison. And all of them except one were killed, executed for their belief that Jesus had risen from the dead. They would not have endured that if it weren't true. Watergate embroiled 12 of the most powerful men in the world, and they couldn't keep a lie for three weeks. <laughs> You're telling me, he says, that 12 apostles could keep a lie for 40 years? Absolutely impossible. So Paul says, sort of matter-of-factly, but Christ has indeed been risen from the dead. You see, you see friends, how do you know there's a God? How do you know that the Bible is the word of God? All of these good questions and valid questions. It's very simple. Because Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. He is risen. He is alive. If he wasn't alive, I don't know that I really could say definitively if there is a God or what he's like. I couldn't say that the Bible is the word of God. I couldn't really know any of that. But if Christ is alive, it changes everything. And he is alive. But if he's, if he's dead, our faith is useless. We remain in sin, and life is the end in, in itself. But if he's alive, faith is powerful. Faith gives us hope. It's not just a hoop dream, right? It's not wishful thinking. 
faith is an assurance of things to come. That's what Hebrews says. The hope of the life to come. And by the way, hope in Scripture, we use the word hope very differently in our culture. I hope it doesn't rain today. It's a wishful, you know, it's wishful thinking, right? I, that's how we use the word hope. But hope in Scripture is a confident expectation based on the truthfulness and faithfulness of God himself. So it's a confident, it will happen in other words. We know it will happen. The hope of the life to come isn't wishful thinking, but it is definite because he is alive. And that changes everything. That means that we can have the assurance that death is not the end. That the tragedies that you're maybe experiencing and enduring right now have a purpose. And that, that is our, our next uh, our point to come. But let's get there in a moment. The other thing it means is that our sins are forgiven if you've come to Christ in faith and repentance. It doesn't mean that everyone's are. It just means that they can be. It means that you can come to him empty-handed and say, Christ, I am a sinner. You made me. You loved me. You died the death I should have died. Accept me, and he will. He will not because you are good or righteous. He will because Christ is good and Christ is righteous. Your sins in Christ are forgiven, and the resurrection of Christ proves that. Now, I want to pause for a a moment to, to show you an example of someone in Scripture kind of pressing for this at the resurrection of Christ. We know him by his um, maybe negative um, title, Doubting Thomas. You guys have heard of him? Doubting Thomas. Now Thomas was one of the apostles of Christ, and Thomas, upon the resurrection and ascension, he was told Christ is alive, and he's like, eh, is he? Right? He's doubting the, the, the reality of this. So Thomas, one of the twelve disciples, walked with Christ himself, is having a hard time with this. When Christ had risen from the dead, he told the other disciples um, he wouldn't believe it unless he saw the marks in his hands and in his sides. Right. So all the disciples are surrounding Thomas. He's alive. We saw him. And he says, I, I need to see his wounds. That's what he says. Very interesting. And that's important. Many claim that Thomas was simply questioning whether or not Jesus had risen from the dead. It's just a matter of fact. But it's deeper than that. It's not just a curious, like, did that really happen or not? He's not just interested in whether or not Jesus rose from the dead. If you simply wanted to know if the person was Jesus, why, why do you think he would ask to see his wounds? Wounds can be replicated, can't they? You know, if, if I have a cut on my leg, you know, someone who looks like me, you know, you could put a cut on their leg and maybe trick them. But why wouldn't Thomas, you know, Thomas walked with Christ for three years. He knew him well. Why wouldn't he ask to see the scar in his neck or the, you know, the mole on his leg? Some, some kind of identifying mark to really prove that this was him. Not, why, why is he saying, I want to see the wounds? I want to see the marks. And the fact that he asked to see that shows me that his request was a little bit more deep than wondering if Christ had risen from the dead. In the, in the ancient Near East, if someone had committed a crime, um, the same would be done to them. So basically, if I stole $100 from you, then I owed you $100. It's called lex talionis, eye for an eye. Okay? So if I killed somebody, then I would be executed. Now, I know our culture doesn't like this sort of thing, but this is what was happening at the time. But here's the problem. What if I killed 100 people? 
You can't kill me a hundred times. You only can kill me once. So what do you do to a person like this? Where they just cannot pay back in this life what they did. Well, they're in trouble in the next. And they symbolize this by, guess how? Hanging someone on a tree. Because the symbol there was, if you're on a tree, then there is no resurrection for you. There is no good resurrection the, the, because the birds are picking at your flesh, all these different things. It's a curse. Right? So you're, you're hung on a tree as a symbol of a curse. In other words, you're in trouble in the next life. Um, oh, and by the way, you know how else they symbolized it? Stones. A large pile of rocks sometimes would be, you're covered with those. Again, it's a symbol, a symbol of there's no, there is no good resurrection for you. You're in trouble in the next life. Jesus Christ was both crucified and laid behind a stone. In the Old Testament, there's someone named Daniel. You guys have heard of Daniel? Daniel and the lion's den. Now, now most of us, even if you didn't grow, grow up in the faith, might have heard of that story. Well, what happened? Daniel gets put in a lion's den. It's almost the same wording. And a large stone was rolled in front. Right? And then what happens? You guys, if you were good in Sunday school and you were listening, you would know that the next day, Nebuchadnezzar, he's all interested. What's going on? He rolls away the stone. And who's, who's there petting the lions? Daniel. And he knew because he emerged from behind the stone that Daniel was innocent, that he hadn't been guilty of any crime. Thomas, okay, fast forward some time now. Here's what Thomas was doing. Thomas knew that the punishment of Christ was supposed to be for something bigger than any crime that he could have committed in this life. And he knew that if he emerged from behind the stone and from off the cross, it would have to mean that the punishment that he endured in the next life was not for him, but for someone else. Because he was innocent. He rose from the dead. He was innocent. And that means that the punishment he bore was not for him. It was for you. He's alive. And that changes everything. And that gives your life purpose, by the way. And we'll close with that. Life now is directed. We're headed somewhere. It's not arbitrary. You don't have to be afraid of cancer. You don't have to be afraid of divorce. You don't have to be afraid of anything. Because if you are in Christ, your sins are forgiven. There is a better bridegroom for you. There is a healthy body for you. There is a life to come that will not end where you will sit at the right hand of Christ where there are pleasures forevermore. It's not a big pile of money. You don't get a hundred virgins. You get Jesus. You get for, forgiven sins. You get everything you've ever wanted in this life but just didn't realize that you could find it in Christ. So come to him, friends. This moment, don't take another moment or day wasting time because he's coming. And the life that he offers you is available to you. Come to him, believe in him, trust in him. He loves you. The early church knew that if Christ rose from the dead, it meant... They didn't have to be afraid of anything. Not Roman swords, not cancer, nothing. 
If Jesus rose from the dead, it changes everything. And friends, and neither do you have to be afraid of anything. If you are in Christ, trust in the work of Christ, and you will emerge from all the graves of life, victorious and alive. Amen? Amen. Let's go to God in prayer.